Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Bertrand Russell, who was a very outspoken atheist, on his 90th birthday was asked what would happen if after he died, he discovered as an atheist he was wrong. And Russell said, I would tell God, you gave us insufficient evidence. I would say, God has given us more than enough evidence. Uh, It is page after page of evidence of what his plan is for man and what his plan is for you as an individual, what his plan is for this earth. Uh, You have a beginning and an end. And then you have a new beginning and a new heaven and a new earth. And God's got a plan for everything in between. So I I guess the question becomes, in this society in which we are so technologically savvy and information is growing and exploding at such a rate that none of us can keep up with it anymore, uh, does God still speak? Does God still have something to say? Is the word of God outdated? Or is it still alive and active and powerful? And does it still work in people's lives? I would say, and I'm not a lawyer, but I would say on the basis of the evidence rendered in Scripture and in changed lives... It is resounding, yes. God still has something to say. His voice is as clear and as sharp today as it was when he first spoke the world into existence. He still has promises for us. He has answers to prayer for us. There are miracles for us. There there are divine interventions that we cannot explain. When God just seems to move in and do things that are beyond our ability uh, to comprehend. Many of you have uh, prayed for our friend Alan Stewart. And uh, two weeks ago when I got a phone call that uh, he had mesothelioma and, and it was in, in his lungs and in his abdomen and everything else. And one of our doctors in the church got us the name of a doctor in New York who specializes in dealing with these things. And Alan has had tests this week and he had an upper GI and a, and a lower GI. And they do not believe that they're is a mass in his abdomen. They believe that that's just something else. And, and if it is confined, as they continue to test, if it is confined to his diaphragm, this doctor can replace diaphragms. Now, guess what? God knew that before anybody knew what a diaphragm was. And in his timing and in his way, he showed it to men so that they could help others. You say, well, that's just the miracle of medicine. It's the miracle of God that is revealed to man those things that he can understand, that which under normal circumstances he couldn't understand, and to take the risk that it takes to come to those conclusions. When I, when I think about specific promises, I think about David. David was a man after God's own heart. Now, you've you got to think about David. Here's a guy that spent a lot of his life running from an angry father-in-law 
in the wilderness, hiding in the wilderness because his own son rebels against him. Boy, if there was ever a guy that needed to hang on to the promises of God, it was David. Although he had great moments and great seasons in his life, he's a man after God's own heart. And when you read the Psalms, primarily written by David, when you read the Psalms, you see David questioning and talking to God, but then you see David coming to the end of even those hardest Psalms when he wonders where God is, coming to those moments where he says, God's in control. You know what I believe David held on to? It's not specifically stated in the scriptures. But I believe when he was being chased by Saul, I believe that David said in his heart, Saul's not going to kill me because I've been anointed king. Saul's still alive. I'm not going to take Saul out, although I have some opportunities to do that. I'm not going to take Saul out. I'm just going to wait because God's told me that I'm going to be king. He set me aside. He set me apart. The prophet anointed me to be king. And so even in his darkest days, I believe that David held on to a promise that he got as a young man when his father didn't believe in him and nobody else believed in him and he was out herding sheep. I believe God gave David a promise that day that was significant to him all the days of his life. Stonewall Jackson, the the, uh, Confederate general, was asked how he could be so calm in a battle. And he said, because I believe in the sovereignty of God and I am as safe on a battlefield as I am in my own bed because my days are numbered of the Lord. So the psalmist David in Psalm 138 says, I will give you thanks with all my heart and I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word. That's the phrase I want you to pick up on. You have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. So I want to talk to you about learning to claim the promises of God, focusing in on verse 2, the last part of verse 2. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. Psalm 138 is a worship psalm. It's, It's written in response to God's promises to David. Now, let me give you a principle that I learned from Tom Eliff. And Tom Eliff learned it from a preacher called Preacher Halleck. Preacher Halleck was a, a remarkable man. And this is what he taught Tom early in his ministry about how to claim a promise from God. And it's four little statements. Read it through. Write it down. Pray it in. Live it out. Read it through. That's where you're doing your study. That's where you're doing your, your who, what, when, where, why. Read it through. Write it down. That's application. What has God said to you? Pray it in and live it out. Pray it in and live it out. And so we have to learn to stand on the promises of God. 
I mean, God's given his promises, and they're incredible. There are so many promises, it'd be hard for us if every one of us would get a concordance out and read five in the scriptures. It would be hard for us to finish even with all of us here tonight. So how, how do we learn to stand on promises? Well, one is by the example of those in scriptures. Remember Abraham? He stood on a promise. God told him to go and didn't tell him where he was going. And if you read about uh, in history and in archaeology about Ur the Chaldees, he left one of the most prosperous areas in all the world to go out in the middle of the desert. Moses stood on the promises of God. The promise was, I will bless you and make your name great. Now, here's a guy whose wife is too old to have kids. He's too old to have kids. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Kind of hard to do that. And the one time that Abraham messed up is he said, I'm going to help God out in doing his will. And he and his wife got together and they had Ishmael. That was God's will, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar's way. God's will, God's way was Isaac. And so he lived on a promise. Go out and look at the stars, Abraham. I'm going to make your descendants greater than the number of stars. You cannot even count them all. And your descendants are going to be greater than that. Noah built an ark because God promised a coming judgment. Now, what if Noah had said, you know, until I see some evidence that there's a storm front coming through, I'm not going to start this project. And so year after year, he builds this ark, although there's no indication in the Bible there had ever been rain. And he builds an ark because God had promised, I'm sending judgment and I'm going to deliver you and you're going to bring every animal two by two into the ark. The only question I'll have for God when we get to heaven was, why gnats? Well, I have two questions. Why mosquitoes? Joshua stood on the word as a promise for the secret of success. Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. How could Joshua go in and fight all of those nations, those other tribes, and fortified cities, and have any way of convincing his people that they were going to win? Because they had a promise from God. David stood on God's promises regarding his dynasty. I'm going to make you king over Israel. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises of Messiah in the Old Testament. The disciples stood on the promises of God, that God would send the Holy Spirit. They didn't go out and start witnessing. They went to the room and they waited like God told them to. And as they waited, he said, you stay and you pray until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they did. And then they went out and Pentecost and the church was birthed. I'll give you a Uh, one that we talked about at the offering. God promises to bless those who tithe and who bring to the Lord's storehouse. That's Old Testament and New Testament. And, And the reason that people don't do what God says is they really don't believe the promises of God. Now, I I can tell you, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to try it for yourself, but I can just tell you this. I can live better off of what I get after I give my tithe and after I give to generations and after I give to other ministries that I support. I can live better off what I have left than any of you can live if you're taking the money from God. And I don't care what your salary is because God can make my percentage go further than yours if you're not giving anything to God. You know why I believe that? Because God says it's so. Hey, listen, we've had days in our married life 
when, and you've had them, when we've had days in our married life and we had to sit down and look at the checkbook and say, if we don't mail it till tomorrow, it won't clear the bank until we, and we get our paycheck and then that'll cover it. And, and we, we've lived day to day, mouth to mouth, meal to meal, $25 a week for groceries and that's it. I have eaten so many fish sticks and canned corn in my life that I can't even begin to tell you how much I never want to see fish sticks again. If Captain D's gave them away, I wouldn't eat them. Because I've had all of that I could do. I mean, there's only so many things you can do with fish sticks. And ketchup only covers so much of a multitude of sins. <laughs> the, the reason we don't witness to the lost, the reason that our heart is not given to lost people and sharing the gospel of lost people. Can I tell you why? We really don't believe that God has promised in his word and stated in his word that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. Let, let me give you a thought from this. God will stand with any person that will stand for his glory. God will stand with any person that will stand for his glory. And whatever area of your life that God is calling you to obey a principle or to believe a promise, God will stand with the person that stands with him for his glory. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. David knew the faithfulness of God and in his trouble he prayed, do not forsake the work of your hands. Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has a purpose and a plan and he has promises that he gives us from time to time that he wants us to stand on. So let's learn to say yes to the promises of God. How, how many times has somebody made you a promise and not done it? Any of you ever had anybody promise you they'd do something they didn't follow through? Oh, the rest of you don't talk to anybody, huh? All of us have had somebody that's made a promise to us and they've not followed through. Hey, I'll be there. I'll call you right back. You can count on me. All those kind of statements that sometimes get made and are easily forgotten. And then we make excuses. Can I tell you, God never makes a promise and fails to follow through on it. Years ago, we uh, planned a vacation with some friends of ours. And uh, we went up to the mountains and uh, rented a place up in the Gatlinburg area, rented a four-bedroom little house, and we were going to go in halves. Uh, we were going to pay for our half. They were going to pay for their half. And, and their three kids were going to be with our two kids, and we had known them for a long time. And, and we went up there, and we got all checked in, got our rooms, and they were supposed to be on their way coming from another state. And they didn't get there, and they didn't get there, and they didn't get there. And this was the days before everybody had cell phones. And... And so I started calling the house. And I said, you know, you there? Hello, you there? Everything okay? And then I called it. And by the next day, I called the church. And he said, oh, uh, he's not here. He's on vacation with so-and-so. And they had decided to go with somebody else to a place closer and left me holding the bag for the whole house for five days. Never bothered to call. Never bothered to apologize. Never bothered to say, you know what, we stuck you with the bill. Never made up any of that. Well, let me ask you something. 
if they called you up the next year and said, hey, how about we go on vacation together? What would you do? Sure, here's my credit card number. Go ahead and slap me on the other side of my face. No, you'd say, I'll tell you what, you put the deposit down. Why? Because you can't trust that person's integrity because they don't back up their promises. God backs up his promises. When Jesus said, I'll never leave you and never forsake you, he meant it. He backs up his promises. The foundation of our trust in God is his promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So in Christ, the promises of God are threefold. First of all, they are revealed. The promises of God are revealed in Christ. They are fulfilled in Christ. And they can be claimed because of Christ. Now, Paul is not manipulating the scripture, nor trying to force the hand of Jesus by saying these things. When he says that it establishes us, now he who establishes us with you in Christ. It, that, let me tell you what that term means. It's a very important term in the scripture. It refers to a guarantee of fulfilling a contract. It's a guarantee of fulfilling a contract. It, it is an assurance that the seller gives the buyer that the product is as advertised. So when he says that God has established us with you in Christ, that everything that God said in Christ about us in Christ and about the Holy Spirit is as advertised. So when we live in defeat and when we walk in defeat and when we wonder if God cares and if God loves us and if God knows, in those moments we have to remember that God has established us. His promises are as advertised. The service will be rendered as promised. When God says he's done something for us, he's done it. And the project is finished and you don't have to inspect it to see if there are any holes in it. It's, it's a finished product. So there are two kinds of promises. First of all, they're general promises, general promises. And these are promises that relate to everybody, uh, it, to all believers. They, they are the promises that sustain us they're the promises that strengthen us. For instance, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 3, 4, uh, 4, 13. I will never leave you or forsake you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Romans 8, 28. 1 John 1, 9. Psalm 23. Matthew 6, 33. These are promises, general promises that are for everybody. I wonder if that's for me. I will never leave you or forsake you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I bet that's just for for preachers and deacons and missionaries. No, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Those are general promises. But then God gives us specific promises. Specific promises, I believe, are given in crisis, in decisions, in issues where we need God to speak personally to us out of his word where we need a promise to hold on to 
Now, we've been going through this series and talking about things like hermeneutics and texts within a context, and, and you know how strongly I feel about that. What I'm saying with a specific promise is you're not building a doctrine out of it or a theology out of it, but I'm talking about as you read the Word, God speaks to your heart. I'm talking as you read the Word, you aren't looking for a promise, but God gives you one. What that means is God is not a prisoner in the cell of context. There are moments when God takes the written word and makes it the living word for you in a crisis when you need something to hold on to. The greatest example I know of that is Manly Beasley, who was sick, should have died 20 times. And after he got sick, people would say, Brother Manley, is God going to heal you? He said, I don't know. I hadn't given me a word yet. God going to heal you? Don't know. Hadn't given me a word yet. Is God going to heal you? Don't know. Hadn't given me a word yet. And one day as he was reading his Bible, laying in the hospital for almost a year, he was reading his Bible and God said to him as he was reading through the Psalms, and you shall see your children's children. And Debbie at that time was about 13 years old. And God spoke to Manley's heart that day and said, Manley, there's your promise. Now, it didn't say Manly Beasley in the margin of the study Bible. But as he was reading, and here's the key, as he was reading consistently and praying consistently and looking to God consistently, God made the light bulb come on on a particular verse. I remember talking to Manly about three months before he died, and his daughter-in-law was dying of leukemia. And I said... uh, How's she doing, Manly? And he said, God has not given me a word about her. He said, I I cannot pray the prayer of faith for her because God's not released me to pray that for her. And God's not given me a word for her. And he said, of all the people that I would ask God to give me a word for, it would be her. But he's not given me one. So I have to assume that he's going to take her. You see, you can't make God say what he doesn't want to say. And a specific promise means that you don't come at the word of God haphazardly. You come at it consistently. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James chapter 4, Philippians 4, 6. Let your requests be made known to God. The purpose of a promise is simply this, to show you the will of God for your life in that moment, in that season, in that time, or for your life in general. To show you the will of God for your life. When God called me into ministry, I I can tell you what, what passage he used. There was a guy at Mississippi College who was preaching a revival in Terry's home church. And he preached the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. And if you can believe it, when it got down to that fourth soil that, that will bear fruit, 30, 70, 100 fold, the, the fertile soil. And I said in my heart, I want to be that kind of soil. It was that night that God spoke to me out of that and basically said to my heart, what I'm going to put into you, you're going to put into other people's lives. Now, it was a specific word for me. I asked Terry if she got the same thing out of it, and she didn't. 
She didn't hear what I heard from God, but God spoke to me. But listen, God will not surrender his word to your idea or to your will or to your idea of his will. God gives specific promises because of his will. We wait on God. We seek his will. And then we do his will and we stand on the promises of God. Stepping out in faith. If you read it through, if you write it down, if you pray it in, if you live it out, then you can believe God for specific promises. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. When you pray, believe that you receive. Now that's in the aorist tense in the Greek. And what that means, it has already been done at a particular time. Not that it is a thing to be done in the future. It means you believe that you have already received. Whatsoever you ask, you believe that you've already received. Why? Because God says so. So here's some keys. Number one. Your prayers must be in the will of God. Your prayers must be in the will of God. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. They must be in the will of God. How do you know that? The word of God reveals the will of God. And the will of God primarily is not vocational, what you do for a living. The will of God is primarily, first and foremost, relational. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. If your relationship with God is not where it is supposed to be, it would be foolish to think that God's going to give you a revelation of his will about what you're supposed to do with your life, vocationally. The first is to get the will of God right here. And then you work on the other relationships and on your vocation. Secondly, promises are given to those who abide. Promises are given to those who abide. John 15, verses 7 through 14. Your prayers must be in the will of God. The promises are given to those who abide in the love of God, John 15. Thirdly, you don't interpret a verse to say, if I pray hard enough, God is obligated to answer my prayer. You don't interpret a verse to say, if I pray hard enough about this, God is obligated to answer my prayer. That's not faith. That's putting faith in your ability to try to change God's mind. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Number four, God never gives a promise to get his will, your will done, but to get his will done. God never gives a promise to get your will done, but his will done. And so how far are we willing to go to do the will of God? So let me give you what I think are some conditions for this promise. Number one, they're for believers. I believe promises are for believers. I don't don't believe a lost person can read the Bible and get a promise out of it, except whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Promises are for believers. Secondly, They are given to those who are right with God. They're given to those who are right with God. That's the context of Matthew, I mean, of Mark chapter 11, where where he says, when you ask, believe and receive. They're given to those who are right with God. And to be right with God means that you're right with others. 1 John 4 talks about the fact that you can't love God and hate your brother. 
And so they're given to those who are right with God. Number three, they are not given to satisfy your curiosity or to make you feel like you're better than somebody else. They are not given to satisfy your curiosity or to make you feel like you're better than somebody else. It's not so you can walk around a church saying, I got a promise from God this week. What'd you get? It's not to puff you up. It's not to make you feel like you've got an edge on somebody spiritually. A promise is given so you can hold on to it when things are not going well. And everything's not looking up. Number four, they are only given to those who have settled the lordship issue. I think that's the biggest one. They are only given to those who have settled the lordship issue. In other words, if I've not settled in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, if I'm still sitting on the throne of my life and saying, I'm in charge, I get veto power over what God says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it, I'm going to give God the leftovers, that person will never get a promise from God. I don't believe. Because I believe they're only for people that have settled the lordship issue. You remember when Peter said, not so, Lord? You can't say, not so, and call him Lord. You either got to cross out the not so or you got to cross out the Lord because he can't be Lord if you have an equal or overriding vote in a matter. He has to be Lord, boss, ruler, in charge. He has the final word, the final authority. He's the Supreme Court and there is nobody beyond him. And when he issues the edict, it's done. You see, when I approach the word of God that way and say, God, you're boss, you're Lord, you're in charge. Then God can trust me with a promise because he knows that as I am dead to self and surrendered to his lordship, he knows that he can trust me with that promise because I will not use that promise for my advantage, but for his glory. Does that make sense? that make sense? I mean, I, it means I'm not going to use that promise to try to one-up anybody. I'm not going to use that promise to try to say I'm better or more spiritual than somebody else. That promise is in the context of the fact that I am surrendered first and foremost to the Lordship of Christ. So if I want to believe God for a promise, the first thing I have to do is settle the Lordship issue. This is the confidence John says in 1 John 5, 14. 14. This is a confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Jeremiah said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. So first thing you have to do is receive the Lord. You have to receive him, embrace him as Lord. Then you receive what he's promised. You don't get those reversed. I'm going to get a promise, and then once I see that God really acted on that promise, then I'm going to give him all my heart. No, you receive the Lord as Lord, and then you receive what he promised, and then you receive the answer. That's the flow. So I come to him as Lord, and then God gives me a promise. He speaks to me, and after he gives me that promise, then I receive the answer and I have the peace of God and the God of peace. By the way, that's, that's when you know the promises from God. Paul talks about it in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4. He, he says that you have the God of peace and the peace of God. And I never make a decision 
unless I have both of those. That I have the God of peace. Well, I've just, I've, I hear people say, oh, I've got a peace about it. Really? Is he Lord? How has he spoken to you? How has he affirmed that to you? That he is Lord. I know people that have said, God gave me a promise that this person was going to be healed. God gave me a promise that this was going to happen. Listen, God can't give somebody else a promise for you. God can only give you a promise for you. Now, God can give them a verse that they can pray on your behalf. But only God can give you a promise for you. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit has a direct line to us. He doesn't have to go through a second or a third party. If we are walking in fellowship with the Spirit, God doesn't have to tell somebody to show up at my door and tell me this is what God said. God will tell me if I'm walking with him. And, and the danger is, is that we would believe something because somebody said it and not believe it because the Holy Spirit confirmed it in us. And we'll take a human being's word that God said this and this is going to be true in your life. That we'd take a human being's word and we wouldn't take the word of God about that situation. There was a situation um, several years ago where somebody felt that God had told them that something was going to happen to me on a particular day. And they went and told two people in the church and never came to tell me. Now, if you believe that God spoke to you about somebody, why would you tell everybody else and not tell the person involved? That's kind of like if you see a truck coming and you don't say something, you think God gave you that? We have to be careful when we talk about the promises of God because they just don't pop off the page every day. We don't get 550 promises every year to live by. God will on occasion and in certain times and moments give us a word that we can hold on to. Give us a word that we can stand on. And it may be a word that you have read a hundred times or a thousand times and just read right over it. But there will become this halt and putting on the brakes in your spirit and in your mind. And, and God will say, now read very carefully this word because this is for you. And the peace of God and the God of peace will rule in your heart as you claim that promise. So, the old hymn says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? You know, it comforts all of us when somebody says, oh, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. And, and I tell you, what the prayer cards do out of this church is such an encouragement to people. And I get prayer cards and I read them. I get prayer cards every week and I read those prayer cards and I look at them and I look who's written those prayer cards. And I thank God for the people that have written those prayer cards. But you know what? 
God has written me a prayer card. And he ever lives to make intercession for me. And when people don't pray for me, he's still praying for me. And when people forget to pray for me, he's still praying for me. It does my heart good to know people are praying for me. I need people to pray for me. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have people praying for me. I, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have folks that lifted my name every day before the Lord and my family before the Lord. It's, it's uh, one of the great graces that God's put into my life. But I also know that when I'm asleep and when you're asleep, God's praying for me. And he's praying that I will understand this book enough that in my study of the scripture, I won't just open up and try to find a verse that works. And say, oh, I'm going to claim that as a promise. But in my daily reading and studying of the word, that somehow God will say, here's a verse for you. When Vance Havner was younger, he had insomnia for three years. Couldn't sleep for three years. I mean, he he looked like walking death. And he said, I couldn't sleep. The doctors gave me medication. I still couldn't sleep. Every bed was the wrong bed. Every pillow was the wrong pillow. I just couldn't sleep. And he said, uh, one day I was reading the scripture. And it said, he who watches over Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. (laughs) And Havner said, I decided if he's going to be up, I don't need to be. (laughs) He said, I went to sleep that night. And he said, I've never lost a night's sleep since that. That verse had been there all the time. He had read that verse before. But after three years of insomnia, after searching the Lord and preaching and doing all that he was supposed to do, God said, he who watches over Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. And God said, Vance, that's for you. And Vance said, going to bed. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.